Romans chapter 8, but I found out that Valentine's Day is next week, <laughs> and so uh, this week and next week I'm going to be preaching a different message, but then we want to go through the book of Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest books in all the Bible. I tell you, Romans chapter 8 is a highlight, and there's a lot of important lessons there, walking in the Spirit, and uh, no more condemnation, no more separation. Uh, who is he that condemneth? You know, it's Christ that justified us. I mean, so many great truths comes out of the book of, of Romans. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And uh, so I, want, I just want to take our time as we go through Romans chapter 8. Uh, but this morning, I want to really just think about Roman, or Genesis chapter 4 for this morning. See, I'm all, my mind is already conflicted. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, In Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time it came to pass, it came brought of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. Abel, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock, of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. In other words, his sacrifice was accepted, and how that came to pass, I don't know. Usually when the Lord accepts a sacrifice, it was consumed by fire, something like that, and so who knows what that looked like, but his was, uh, his was accepted. Verse 5, and unto Cain, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. In other words, he was rejected. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? He moves from extreme anger. I mean, his face is marred. You ever see, my children sometimes get like this. You know when they're angry. I mean, they, they clench the fist, their face gets scrunched up. I'm mad. That was Cain. He's throwing a temper tantrum. All right? Uh, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be its desire, and thou shalt rule over him. With that, we'll pray, and we'll get into uh, this morning's message. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we come to you uh, just claiming our need of help. Lord, I need your help in order to preach this message. I pray that everything that I say will be uh, helpful to the church here, edifying to the body of Christ. Lord, if any is not saved, Lord, I pray that you come to a saving knowledge of Christ before it's eternally too late. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together as a body of Christ. And Lord, the reason why we're here is because of you. And so thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may, may they hear you. May they keep their eyes on you. Not me, Lord. I don't have the answers. You do. And uh, may you bless this message for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been rejected by anybody? Face rejection? I mean, all of us have, right? You know, I remember when I was in high school, you know, it's a vital time for people who are young like myself at that period of time. And one time I was young. You say, Pastor, you're still young. But anyway, I, I had this crush on this girl, believe it or not. And uh, she was small, tiny, this kind of thing. And uh, I... I, I Garnered up the nerve. I was a shy kid, so I was not outgoing at all. In fact, I asked several of my friends, you know, how do I do this? Like, I, I don't know if I can, and I need, I need strength. I need, I need how, how do you be outgoing, you know, kind of thing. And so I asked advice, and I ended up uh, asking, her name was Sarah, and uh, I said, uh, 
uh, Sarah, you know, I'd like to invite you out to a date. I said, you just named a time, the place, where you want to go, this kind of thing. And I said, I'll, I'll be there. I'll take you to the, wherever you want to go. And I, she, she, she told me this. She said, well, we'll go to the movies. I was like, well, great. That's going to be a good time, you know. And then uh, she told me what she was going to watch, Hannibal Lecter, Silence of the Lambs. I had no idea what that was about. And uh, so we showed up at the movie theater, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to watch this movie. She accused me of being asleep through the whole movie. I was not asleep. I was, I was scared. I didn't want to watch that. I didn't want to be there. And she said, well, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to date this guy. You sleep through the whole time. He's not interested in me. That's not interested in the movie is what it was. I went to, uh, at the time I graduated, went to basic training down in Fort Benning, Georgia, going through 30th AG, you know, a time of just in between, you're waiting to go into the full-time basic training. So I'm writing letters, to, I got her address, right, and I'm writing letters to her, and I'm just, I mean, I'm showing off, the, look at this letter, and he's like, man, can you write a letter for me, for my girlfriend? I'm like, no, I can't do that. And I'm writing several letters, and it's not long afterwards, I get letter after letter, after letter, return to sender. Talk about rejection. I, I didn't know how to feel about this. I mean, I was just all bent out of pieces. I was out of sorts. My, my emotions were playing. And I really didn't want to be a basic training. I just wanted to go tell her how I feel. You know what I mean? Re rejection. It's not fun. Uh, there was another instance where Sarah and I, we, you know, we were married, going to the end. I was ready to graduate from Bible college. Going off to this ministry, I thought it was a sure thing. I met the pastor at Bill Rice Ranch, hit it off really well. I was talking to him. He needed an assistant pastor. And so I talked to this pastor, and he says, yeah, I need an assistant. Will you come up? And I said, sure. Gave him my um, uh, doctrinal statement and everything he needed. Flew me up there. Oh, it was great. It was great. Great church, great people, uh, great pastor. Really loved being there. And um, After a while, he you know, come back and was like, Wondering how it all went, he invited me back the second time. It's like, well, this is good. I mean, this is, you can't get any better than the second time, you know. And we're sitting there, we're talking to the people. I get to be able to preach to the, the Christian school and talk to the, the youth that are there. I knew I would be uh, working with them and probably some music, which I'm not necessarily good at. But anyway, I was just willing to give it a try. Come back, and he said, well, we're going we want to come the third time. Flies us up the third time, and I'm like, well, this, this has to be a sure thing. Standing before the whole congregation, this is about 300 people that are there, and we, we, we had to give our testimony, and you, you know, you understand, my testimony is something awful. I'm like, I'm, I, I really, if you knew what I did in my past, uh, you know, and I'm sharing this before these people, and, and then Sarah gets up, and she gives her testimony before the people. We're in I'm in tears, she's in tears, the people are in tears. We come out, we're shaking hands, everybody says, y'all, that was so touching, and we appreciate your testimony, your sensitivity, and oh, we're so grateful, we're looking forward to you being here. It sounded so great. And then we get back, and just about a week later, I get an email from the pastor. He says, well, I've, I've had my doubts about this. I really had my doubts the second time that you were here, and I really had my doubts the third time. Well, when I was there in person, he was telling me that it was great. But now I get this email, and I was like, felt lied to, rejected. You know, you, again, your emotions get working, and you're like, what is going on? What's wrong with me? Why did you accept me? Like, 
I mean, I know that I'm nobody special. I'm willing to learn. I'm, I'm teachable and I'm moldable and I'm, I just want to serve the Lord. I'm, I mean, I've paid my way through Bible college. What else could you ask for? I just want to be a servant. And, uh, but anyway, it really hit hard. It really hit hard for Sarah. It took her three months to get over that. But it never feels good to be rejected. And some people can go through rejection and they come through it stronger. And sometimes you're like, how, how did they do that? Read over the book of Isaiah chapter 53. He talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And uh, yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You know, he was the ultimate person that was rejected, a man who did no wrong. You know, the Bible says he went about doing good. You couldn't get any better than Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God, God in the flesh. And yet he was rejected. And despite, you know, him going about, and several people would come to him for healing and got saved and got healed and made whole and good things were happening there. He was, he was rejected by his very own people. The Bible tells us over in John, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Talk about rejection. But he was able to come through this, and he was stronger because of it, because he didn't find his value in, in us. The Bible says that he, he didn't invest, he didn't, what does it say over in John chapter 1? He, he didn't put his trust in men, for he knew what man was made of. He knew, he knew our sinful, he knew our hearts. You see, he found his value in his father. Every single morning he would get down on his knees and he, he would be praying to his heavenly father and for hours at a time, first thing in the morning, he would be praying and he would go out and he would serve others. He says, the words that I say are the words of my father's. The works that I do are the works that my father has given me to do. I go unto my father. And that was his whole thing. Sometimes rejection is, is hard on, on people because we're trying to place our value in the wrong things. And, and it really brings us down, and we've got to get over that. We've got to get over that. Pastor, how does somebody do that? Again, it depends on where you find your value. Inevitably, if you're young, it seems like you can come across all kinds of, of peer pressure. I mean, in high school, I would watch the football players, and they would be there on the bench press, and I mean, they're pressing like, 400 pounds, 415 off of their chest, and I'm like, that's what I want to do. That's impressive right there. That's where I find my value. I want to be on the football team. And we do everything that we can to try to be impressive because that's where we find our value. And young men all the time, they're trying to be athletic and they're trying to be good-looking. They're trying to be muscle-bound because that's what they see on the social media feeds. Guess what? The girls do the same. They're, they say, well, as long as I have this perfect figure... Everybody's going to turn their eyes. They're going to be looking at me, and that's where they find their value because they're getting attention. And they say, well, I've finally arrived. This is my value. This is why I look the way I do. This is why I dress the way I do. Some people in talents, and they'll, they'll come up before, maybe before a church service, and they'll, they'll, they'll sing, they'll play their instruments, they'll do this, they'll do that, and, and, and all such so, so they can hear the, the, the people who they come out, and they say, wow, I've never heard singing like this before. I've never heard playing like this before, whether it's piano, whether it's guitar, or whether it's flute, or whether it's anything else, and they'll say, wow, praise the Lord for this, and they'll ignore the usher at the door or the person out there cutting the grass. 
And then somebody can get the idea, well, if I want value, this is what I want to do. I want to learn to play music so people can applaud me too. You know, one of the things that I want to be very careful of, I would rather the choir sing before 10 people and find their value in the Lord than before 10,000 so everybody can, wow, standing ovation. I would rather preach before two and know that I've given my heart so that one person by the grace of God can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowing that I did it for Christ and to preach before 10,000. You know what I mean? Because it's so easy to, to find our value in the, the applause that we get, the attention of men, and, and, and it's really deceptive in some ways because it's never enough. That's what cancel culture was all about. They determined that they want to cancel certain people that didn't agree with their agenda so that they were the ones who determined what was valuable and what was not valuable. Guess what? Some people didn't give in to that. Thank God for that. Uh, cancel culture is a hoax. Uh, it brought no glory to God whatsoever during that period of time. But I'm glad, that, again, I'm glad that we have YouTube. I'm glad that we have these other uh, platforms in which to, 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 to minister and to get the gospel out and, and what have you. Um, but that's not the all in all. Our value is in Christ alone. Our value is in Him, in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Rejection, man, that's a heavy cross to bear. Sometimes people never get over that. They're, I mean, they're carrying the bitterness. They're carrying the anger with them everywhere they go. You mention the name, I mean, it sets them off. And everywhere they go, it's just this heaviness about them. They try to play it off, maybe try to be joyful, maybe try to change their demeanor, but it's there. The Bible says a broken, a wounded spirit is hard to bear, but uh, let me ask you something. What, who are you trying to find acceptance from? Who are you trying to find acceptance from? Because sometimes, again, this, this is what, what young people have trouble with, and this is what, can I say, all of us have trouble with. We just want the world to accept us. We just want the world to accept us for who we are. And what if you never get that? What if you never get that? You see, Cain, Cain from the Bible, he found acceptance from, guess who, his parents. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Eve has this child. You know, Genesis chapter 4 is a, just a book of firsts in all kinds of levels. It's the it's first fatherhood. It's the first motherhood. It's the first child. It's the first you know, brothers. It's the first murder. It's the first a lot of things. It's the first worship, the first sacrifices that are being offered. It's Genesis 4 is the first of many levels. By the way, it's the first time that people called upon the name of the Lord. Seth's children. And that gives me hope. But when I read Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and Eve conceived, she had a son, and she called his name Cain. Why did she name him Cain? Because she had gotten a man from the Lord. Guess who she thought he was? The Messiah, probably. The promise. He, he was the best thing since sliced bread. That's how we say it, don't we? He was all that and a bag of chips. You, Cain, Cain was the man, but then when we come down and we see the next son that's being named, guess what his name? His name is Abel. We think that's good. Guess what his name means? Vanity. 
It's like uh, Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried the other and trying to find value in all of, of work and pleasure and fame and money and fortune and all the things that the world found, finds value in. I found all of it to be vanity. This, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments is what Solomon says. But it's all vanity. Everything on this earth is vanity. That's what Eve names her son Abel vanity. He's basically worthless. And Cain finds his acceptance from his parents. And guess what else? Cain finds his acceptance from his work. He's a tiller of the ground. And he finds everybody's just uh, falling in love with him. That's a crazy thing. A crazy thing. But this is what happens here. Uh, again, we find the first worship, first uh, a lot of things that are in here. But uh, Cain, Cain finds his acceptance in his work, his value in his work, his value in his mother and in his parents. But then when it comes to the Lord, for the very first time, he's rejected. But he doesn't know how to get over it. Doesn't know how to get over it. Nothing is said here of Adam and Eve and the upbringing of these children. We can only assume that they raised the boys the best way that they knew how. Uh, one thing we can say for sure, that they were raised in the same home. They were raised the same way. I hear this all the time. I can't figure out how two children can be brought up in the same home and turn out so totally different. It's like you know, me and my sister were totally different people. Same way with uh, Jacob and Esau. Same way with Cain and Abel. I mean, they're as different as different can be. It doesn't matter if you have twins or triplets or quadruplets or whatever. They're going to be different. They have their own identity, their own choice, and you can bring them up in the same home. But when they make those choices, you can't control the choices that they make. They are responsible for the way that they respond, no matter how much chastening and uh, what have you goes in behind it. I noticed that God didn't blame Adam and Eve for the way that Cain turned out. But both of these children knew the value of work. They knew the value of worship. Both two were, had two very different ways of life. And again, God didn't blame Adam and Eve for the way that Cain turned out. Uh, sometimes, the reason why I bring this out is, as a parent, I know what it is to be judged by others. Even, even if it's not mentioned out loud, you feel like you're being judged. Sometimes it's self-judgment. You're like, uh, I don't, what do people think about me? They probably think I'm the worst parent in the world. Probably every parent has thought that at one time, you know what I mean? So we can't, we can't be so hard on ourselves. We've got to raise them for the glory of God, to nurture and admonition of God. But if you raised Cain differently was probably their thought. If we had only raised Cain differently, we, he wouldn't have turned out like this. But again, he was raised in the same home. He had the same opportunities as Abel. And the difference was, was free will. Now, we're going to come down here and uh, we, we see that there's going to be three things I want to bring out. And basically, it's how, how Cain responds to God in these three instances where God comes to Cain and he's dealing with Cain. And we see God dealing with Cain through his worship. Through his worship. And Cain is rejected for the very first time in his life, and I believe because he felt like he was in competition with his brother, he always wanted to be better than Abel. In the moment that he was not accepted, it was too much that he could, more than he could bear. In his worship, he could have found acceptance the same way that Abel found acceptance. In God's word, we'll see that next. When God 
confronts Cain with his attitudes, with his actions, where his countenance had changed and became, uh, the Bible says he was wroth, he was angry, his countenance had fallen, and God gives his word. How, does you, how do you respond to God's word? And then the third time that God comes to him after we know what happens, he kills his brother Abel. And God delivers the punishment, the way in which he dealt with Cain. I believe he had three opportunities to find acceptance from Christ. Three opportunities to find acceptance from God. And nothing that this world could offer him was never enough. We must find our value in God. So we come now to God's worship. It's interesting. We find the wording of verse 3 here. It says, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain bought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Process of time, it literally has the idea at the, at the end of days, it's the thought is this, it was probably on a Sabbath day at an appointed time, at an appointed place uh, to, for a particular purpose in order to worship. I don't know how, what, how much they knew or what they knew or how this all came to pass. We're not given the details. We're not given the details of why Cain's offering was accepted and and why Cain's was not, at least not in Genesis chapter 4. Didn't lay out the way, well, God says we got to worship in this way, in this manner, this motivation, this heart. It's not mentioned in Genesis 4. It didn't even say that they must offer a sacrifice. It didn't even say what kind of sacrifice. It didn't say how they were to offer it. But they knew that they had to offer it. This was an appointed time for an appointed place. And it's sort of like, because Adam and Eve is not mentioned, it's sort of like a drama, a play, a movie that's just honed out. The picture is focused just on these two boys and we're following him here through the scene as they're coming to the altar. And Cain is coming with the best of the fruit of the ground that he has to offer. Look at these, look at these cabbages, look at these tomatoes, look at this lettuce, look at these peas, look at this, this fruit of the ground, look at what I have to offer unto the Lord. And then here comes... Here comes Abel, Mr. Vanity. Two little, two little sheep with him. He's got his sheep with him, and he's bringing them to the altar, and he's going to offer them unto the Lord. We're not told that, uh, you know, they, he, he even had the idea that he was not going to be accepted. Originally, I think that he thought that he would be accepted in bringing this offering unto the Lord. I really do. These boys were religious and uh, they, they knew that they were to offer up something unto God. So, again, we're not told what they were to offer, but what made the difference between Cain's sacrifice being rejected and Abel's being accepted? Here's the difference. We recognize that in the offerings through the Old Testament, even before the law of Moses, there was the offering of an animal sacrifice. And what I want you to realize is this was not something that was uncommon because Noah, when he got off the ark, with that judgment, when he comes down and he's unloading all the animals off the ark and he gets his family off the ark, what does Noah do? He builds an altar unto the Lord and he offers up of all the clean animals unto the Lord. The Bible tells us that it was accepted. In other words, this, this was the acceptable kind of sacrifice that God was looking for, both between, we can infer, from Abel's sacrifice and also for Noah's sacrifice. We can also infer from uh, uh, the New Testament, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. But Cain and Abel didn't have that scripture, but we know from our point of view, having the 
full revelation of the scriptures. That's what God wanted, a blood sacrifice. Aside from that, we learn in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, that Abel's sacrifice was offered by faith. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, that by it being dead, yet he speaketh. Nowhere do we read that Cain had faith whatsoever, but we do read that Abel had faith. Also, we find over in 1 uh, well, let me back up. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, where we read, And Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Again, blood, blood sacrifice. That's what God wanted. And Christ was that better sacrifice. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Jude speaking of the same thing. And again, I'm just following through the scriptures and trying to figure out why, why was Abel's sacrifice accepted and Cain's not. So we can infer, well, Abel had faith. Abel had a blood sacrifice. Abel was righteous. Cain was none of those things thus far. Jude is speaking, certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And those same people that Jude speaks of there in that fourth verse, in, in the 11th verse, I believe it is, he says this, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've ran greedily after the, the heir of Balaam for reward. They've gone after the gainsaying of Korah. It says there, you know, if I could put two and two together, that Cain, number one, was ungodly, but he didn't have respect unto God. He didn't value God. But yet he's expected to be accepted. It's, it's an amazing thing that we have here. Again, number one, it was a blood sacrifice. Number two, offered of faith. Number three, uh, offered from a heart of righteousness. That's what, what made it accepted. But Cain... Cain valued his work, Cain valued his worship, he liked his little religion, and however, more than anything else, Cain was all about himself. And isn't that what you find within this text? Cain liked the attention, Cain liked being the firstborn, Cain liked everybody to fall down and give him what he wanted. He expected that from God, instead of submitting to the Lord and what he wanted. His worship was all about him. His way of life was all about him. But God's way is very narrow. The Bible tells us over in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's very narrow. And we can either go the way, way of Abel or we can go the way of Cain. And Jesus said, you know, there's, there's two roads. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way to lead to life. Broad is the way to lead it to destruction. And Cain chose that broad way. James says to him to know it to do good and do it not it, to him at his sin. So we see how Cain responded to God in worship. He could have been accepted. I mean, he had every opportunity to offer the same way that Abel did. He could have offered in faith. He could have offered a blood sacrifice. He could have taken it one of the sheep. He might have had to go to his brother to get it. <laughs> but he could have. He could have. So he had every opportunity to be accepted of Christ, of, of the Lord here. There's, there's something else we see here, God's word, how Cain responds to God's word now. It appears to me that immediately after Cain's perceived uh, that his sacrifice was rejected, immediately after, something happens. Like, 
see, we find in verse 4 that he's still at the altar. We see that his sacrifice was rejected. And immediately, immediately after, it says in verse 5, it says, And unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Immediately after, Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. This, this would be at a church service. This would be right there as the offering's going on. This would be right in the midst. And then Cain all of a sudden becomes very upset and visibly angry. And God begins to deal with Cain in a way that uh, acknowledges his pain, acknowledges the fact that he is, he is feeling rejected, acknowledging what is going on in his heart. He begins to deal with Cain in a very compassionate way. He didn't deserve it. But God deals with him in a very sensitive way, showing his concern for Cain. It's remarkable how God took time to instruct him in this scene. And it's a lesson for all of us because, you know, sometimes my children don't always understand why something is wrong. And, you know, I have to take the time to really instruct them. And I got to teach them. And I got to help them to overcome that anger and that, that the desire within their heart. And God shows us this here from the text. We need to take time to instruct our children. We need time to, uh, also to evaluate our own hearts. Because that's the point of God dealing with Cain here. The first sin in the Garden of Eden manifested itself in fear and shame for the very first time. But that was in the Garden. Fear is an enemy of faith. But now on the other side of the Garden of Eden, outcast from the presence of God, we see the second sin that's committed here. And, and well, before he even gets to murdering his brother, it doesn't say that it was sin for being angry. But that anger moved into him committing that murder. But this, this sin manifested itself in the form of anger that took control and ruled over him is what God is pointing out to us. It's this fear and this anger. Anger is an enemy to faith as well. So the second sin in the Bible uh, manifests itself in anger and a bruised ego. There's no shame that we find it. Cain is not, not ashamed of the fact that he brought the offering that he did. He's, he's not ashamed of, of who he is or what he's done, though it, de it defied what God wanted. Though it went against, though it was in a disobedient act against God, there's no shame, there's no regret that we find here, no sign of remorse. Benjamin Franklin once said, anger is never without a reason, but seldom with a good one. And he didn't have a good reason for being anger whatsoever. Three reasons for anger, oftentimes we find, is a result of hurt. We've been hurt, so we get angry. Somebody hurts us, and we just get upset. The second one we find here is uh, because of uh, frustration. Frustration. And when things don't go our way, I believe that's what the result of Cain's anger was, is because of frustration that he begins to get upset and he gets, becomes visibly angry because he was not received and he was frustrated with God. He was frustrated with the situation. He was frustrated because Abel all, all of a sudden got the glory and he didn't. Well, actually, God got the glory. And the third reason for anger is fear. When you're afraid, you get angry. You begin to fight back. It's like you put somebody in a corner 
and you pin them in the corner, what are they going to do? They're going to fight back. You know, that dog will bite. <laughs> you know what I mean? The hurt, fear, and frustration. Again, I believe frustration was the cause for Cain's anger that we have here. But as God begins to deal with Cain, he asks this rhetorical question. God knows everything. And why does God ask the question? Well, to get him to think about what he's doing. Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, literally, if you've offered correctly. Cain, don't you realize, if you would have offered the same kind of sacrifice that Abel offered unto me, you would have been accepted just the same. In other words, your, your anger, you being upset over the situation is unjustified. You're trying to blame everybody else. You're trying to get everybody to conform to you. You want people to bow their knee to you. This is unjustified. This is not how things work around here. You know, God is supreme overall. We're to submit ourselves unto him. But now all of a sudden, Cain it makes it all about him. That's the way it works here. Cain is making the whole issue about him. Not about God, not about Abel, but about him. And he's trying to get him to think through. Cain, if, if you would just offer the right sacrifice, you would not be angry. And you would not be rejected. You would not be feeling the way you do. But I want to warn you, Cain. I want to warn you, sin lieth at the door. It wants to have rule over you. It wants to control you. It wants to manipulate you. It wants to use you. But you need to rule over that emotion and that fear. You need to rule over that resentment and that rejection. It's what Cain is, what the Lord is trying to help Cain with to understand. Um, his sin nature wants to rule over him. The language of verse 7 is very similar to Genesis 3.16, both referring to a desire for something. Genesis 3.16, God says to Eve, your desire shall be to your husband. It's that kind of desire that is used here in Genesis 4.7. And clearly, Cain is to master his, his, his own emotions and his own behavior that we find here. Uh, you know, it's, it's bad when things are out of order. Remember in, in Sunday school this morning, I said that what Satan does is he reverses the order. So Satan didn't go after Adam. He goes after Eve. All of a sudden, Eve is calling the shots. Eve, instead of being in subjection, is now ruling over. This is, she's got the rules reversed. This is what God is trying, what the Lord is trying to teach Cain. He says, you know, you can let that sin rule over you, or you can master it. You got the choice. So this rejection is a springboard for growth. I like a... Like what it says, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire. Thou shalt rule over him. Rejection is a springboard for growth if we let it. Uh, it can encourage Cain to learn from the opportunity and respond in the right way and be accepted of the Lord and uh, have this right way of worship once again. He empowers Cain to fight for victory over the sin and the anger and the resentment that is in his heart, uh, to have a master over his emotions and take responsibility for his behavior to reaffirm his faith. God is instructing him to rule over his emotions and over the sin working in his flesh, and he's calling Cain to master that anger. This is what's going on. But at the same time, as this is an instruction, 
It's also a picture. It's also a picture. I like Hebrew because oftentimes there's a word picture that's being demonstrated for us. The idea is this. If you, if you do well, you'll stand upright. You know, somebody who's anger, he says he uses the word to count this as fallen. You'll be able to stand upright. People that are happy, well, they're often upright. You can see the smile on their face. They're excited. They're joyful. They're glee, gleeful. People who are angry, bitter, resentful, what do they do? They're always down. You'll be able to stand upright is, is the idea here. Uh, and if you do not well and continue to sin, this sin will be a burden that will cause you to crouch down upon the earth like the curse of, upon Satan there. And there's no such thing as a point of no return as what we find here. Cain could have turned at any point, could have responded to God's word very correctly and made things right. He would have had to repent and turn unto the Savior, take responsibility for his actions. But until you're willing to deal with your own heart, nothing's going to change. It's, It's a shame that so many people just want to blame everybody else for what's going on in their life. You're to blame, the government's to blame, the society's to blame, this is to blame, that's to blame. God says, look, look, look a little closer to you. Look at what's going on in your heart, Cain. Look at what you're dealing with. You came to worship, but you're not worshiping me. You're going farther away from me. You came to honor me, you came to glorify me, but now... Uh, because you bought the wrong sacrifice, you're, you're, you're going the way of the same path that the devil has trod. You're making it about yourself. He, di- he did not respond correctly to God in worship. He didn't respond correctly to God's word. The sad part about all of this is that when we nurture anger and bitterness, and when we rebel against God, there's no telling where it may lead. And that's this next point. God's way in dealing with Cain's sin. It's interesting. We know what happened here in the very next verse. Cain's anger being rejected. He, he sparked. It says that they were walking in the field. Probably one of the fields that he had plowed and planted. Walking by in the field and then he rose up and he uh, killed his brother. He slew him is what the Bible says. And then immediately afterwards it says, The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said unto him, I know not. Now he's not asking because God doesn't know. He's, he's trying to elicit a, a confession out of him, just like when God came to, to Adam and Eve. But he says, Adam, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't that he didn't know where he was. He's trying to get him to confess and to come out and to, to expose himself. But Cain wasn't about to do that. He wasn't about to respond to God. He put up a wall. Anger helps no one. Most rebellion is made worse by self-reliance, independence, and separation from, from relationships. That's what anger does. It puts barriers between you and everybody else. There's pinned up resistance within the heart. You shut down and don't listen. You know, I've, hey, listen, I'm, I'm no saint. I've been there. Uh, I get upset, somebody's trying to speak to me, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm like, I'll stand there, I'll listen to you, but I'm not going to listen. <laughs> I'm not going to obey. I've been there. Shut down, it, it, it resists the ability to listen. He's not listening to God here in this text. No, one, no one's coming together. 
Cain is not going closer to God. He's not going closer to his brother, but he's going farther away. That's what this anger does. It separates people. The issues are never solved. He never makes it right. He never goes to God. No one wins. It's a bad news because it's pinned-up aggression. And pinned-up aggression, guess what it does? It explodes just like what we see in our text. You see, people, I, again, I, nobody taught me these things when I was little. Uh, things would upset me, and I would just keep it, keep it in. And I would just pile it on and pile it on and pile it on, and it was like one of these... It's like a bomb. You just keep, keep putting it in there and you shake it up and it's about ready to explode. <laughs> Cain exploded. It's the worst thing that we can do is to keep it in. So Cain kills Abel and then God comes back into the picture as he confronts Cain for his sin. And in verse 9, it's God's attempt to get Cain to confess. And again, Cain lies. God takes it another step further indicating that he knows what Cain did because in verse 10 he says this, he says, and he said, what hast thou done? The voice, here it is, thy, of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And then came the consequences. And because he wouldn't confess, there would have been consequences either way. But this is what God says. Thou art, and now thou art cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. I like what the book of Proverbs says. It says, Thou, being uh, often reproved, harden your neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. It's one of those verses I've memorized and put within my heart. His farming ability, when we read down through what that curse entailed, his farming ability would be lost. His future would be that of a fugitive, always on the run. Always on the run. And his fellowship with God would be lost as a result. It's interesting to me and rather instructive because in the first sin between Adam and Eve, he put up those, the angel, he put up a wall so that Adam and Eve could not get into the tree of life. That was the reason that God states it's there. Because that, that fellowship had been lost. There was no, no continual fellowship with God as they used to enjoy there in the cool of the day. But here, when we see that uh, Cain kills his brother, there's no wall that's put up. There's an altar that's always available. There's a repentance that can always be made. He goes into the place of not, a place of wandering, and every, everything that we can entail here from this laid out about the life of Cain, it's, it's interesting what takes place here because he's, he, not, not is a place that means wandering. That's one of, one of God's curses. It's interesting that he uses the word, but he goes to the place of not, he, he takes a wife, and then all of a sudden he tries to establish a new world order. What does he do? He tries to build his own city. I don't need God. I don't need those people. He tries to establish a new world order, and then he tries to establish new morals. He says, I'm not going to live the way that God told me to live. Isn't that the same thing that Esau did when he, was, he saw that it didn't please his father to take the Canaanitish woman? So that's what he did. Cain says, I'm going to go out instead of taking one wife. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two. I'll take three. I'll take four. I'll take whatever I want. God's not going to tell me what to do. He begins to try to build a life unto his own. He names the first city Enoch is what I believe. He names it. And then, then all of a sudden we see these because the, the ground's not going to yield its fruit to him anymore. 
The thing that he found value in, his guy says, you're not going to have that anymore. So what happens there with Cain's family, we see that uh, the first son, he's a, he's a farmer. He, he, he deals in cattle, and he goes out, and he establishes a, a farm life, an agricultural center, okay? And he's there he made the first Walmart or first Wise or whatever, first giant, whatever you, you, you want it to be, all right? He's got his own farm set up, an agricultural center city in the midst of the city. The second son comes along and he says, all right, you know, uh, he, he's going to be one who's gifted in music. He's going to be gifted in, in, in industry and in music and other things. And every single one of these gifts that they are doing, none of it, none of it, number one, has anything to do with God. You don't hear anywhere in that, in that city as a place of worship. You don't hear anywhere in the city where they're offering sacrifices. You don't hear anywhere in the city where they're talking about God. No, they're doing everything their own way. The, the, one's gifted in brass, another one's gifted in music, another one's gifted in farming, another one's gifted in another area, and they're, they're priding themselves in this, and so much so, here's, this, this will take the cake. One becomes very lawless. Go figure. Lamech. Cain killed a man, and you know, it'd be rewarded to him 70 times, but now... Uh, for Lamech, it's 70 times 7. God owes me. That's the mindset behind a very lawless center, a very godless center. It's the path of Romans chapter 1 of the downward spiral. You know what you find? In all these areas that Cain tried to find value, in the work, it just, it's not enough. In music, the, the amount of music that's being played, it could be the best music in the world, but it's not enough. I can work with the brass, I can work with plants, I can work with whatever it is, but it's not enough. And I'm trying to crowd God out of my life, but it's not enough. And I can't find enough value. There's not enough Women, not enough money, not enough pleasure, not enough this, not enough of that, not enough of anything to, to really satisfy my soul. And that brings us back to that very first point. We must find our value in God. We want to find value, we got to go back to Calvary. The one, the Son of God who came and he shed his blood on the cross to die for us to do what we cannot do in our own. We've tried to do it our own way. We've all acted like Cain to some degree or another where we've tried to crowd God out of our lives. Pastor, I would never do that. Oh, yeah. Well, when you was younger, how often did you go to church? How often did you serve God? Did you do it resentfully? Well, I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. Some people grew up in church. And I think because they grew up in church, well, they've, they've always been Christian. I've heard that before. Well, Pastor, I've always been Christian. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Sent into the world through one man, Adam. And because of sin came death, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And the only way that we could deal with our our guilt before God, the only way that we can find acceptance before God, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. 
There had to be a death. It couldn't be, couldn't be our church service because there's no death in that. It couldn't be our money. It couldn't be our good looks. It couldn't be our charm or our charisma. Anything that we have to offer, it's got to be the wages of sin is death. And Christ came to pay that death for us. The precious blood of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us, we're not redeemed by the uh, precious things such as gold or silver, or by the traditions of our fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've not accepted that, then you're not saved. Because again, the Bible says there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Find your value in him. Nothing that this world gives you will never be enough. You could try to find, you know, make the most perfect world, and it's going to be a mess because you're a sinner, and that world's going to be a mess. But Christ can change your world. He can make all things right, and we can find value. Isn't this perfect for Valentine's Day? <laughs> right? We're trying to find value in somebody. I find value in my wife. But again, you know, I know people that get into relationships are still not happy because it's not what they wanted. No, you can only find value in Christ. And may you understand that this morning. If you're dealing with uh, any of these issues, whether it's rejection, resentment, bitterness, or anger, God is calling. He says, well, I want you to look inward. I want you to look inward. Are you well to be angry? Are you doing well to harbor unforgiveness? Are you doing well to do all the Listen, Christ can forgive you. Christ can give you peace. God will give you love. He'll do all those things that the world cannot offer you. Do you do well to hold that anger and that unforgiveness and that bitterness in your heart? No, you've got to admit you don't. You need to make that right this morning. With every bow and every eye closed. Is there a distance between you and God because of anger, bitterness, resentment? You find yourself getting angry all the time. You say it's for no reason, but you know what the reason is. I want to call on you this morning. Pastor, I want to make that right. I want to deal with my anger. I want to, I want to give that anger to God. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. I want to respond to God the way that I need to respond to God. I want to ask forgiveness. I want to turn to repentance and I'm going to allow God to help me get victory over my anger, over my bitterness, over my unforgiveness. That's just you this morning. Would you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Anybody at all? Amen. Amen. I see those hands. Number two. I'm not going to ask for uplifted hands, but I just call you to respond. Are you lost? If you die today, do you know where you'll be? Would it be heaven or hell? It's only one of the two places that you can go. Life is, doesn't end here after, after death. There's, there's eternal life. Have you received the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know you're on your way to heaven? If not, I call you. Uh, I implore you to get that right this morning. That you be today. The Bible says today. May today be the day of your salvation. And I want you to see me or somebody else after this service and say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I need help. Will you show me how to be saved? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much.